Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Can you hear? Ah, it's good. Very, very good. Um, My name's Paul. I'm one of the pastors here at um, King's Church, and it's my privilege to lead the team. Um, had a great, great time at Movement and it was, it was good earlier just praying for those that aren't very well. Um, I, I've heard that, uh, you know Simon who brought that um, word of knowledge, that's what we'd call it, a word of knowledge about the bad knee in the mobile phone and someone just over there responded to it. Well I was told we, we'd, we'd check out a bit more details later but I understand that the knee's completely healed, immediately healed um, when they prayed for. So that's good isn't it? And maybe we'll be able to get a sort of testimony or something a little bit later. Um, wow, what a weekend. If I fall asleep halfway through the preach, apologies. Um, I'm still recovering a bit from the, uh, the, the men's camp. But just to let you know, I have showered since I was there. So it's, uh, it's all okay. Not only uh, were 60 or fit, well, between 50 and 60 of us at the movement camp, we also put on, um, or we didn't, we hosted... Um, Sussex Baby and Toddler Fair and Tracy is going to share just for 30 seconds a few slides about what happened because I want to thank all of you in the church that were involved in it. Mon? Yeah. God is really good. He's awesome. Um, We held the Baby and Toddler Show for the first time this year. Um, it was a new event, not held it before, not quite sure how big it was. It was only in Hall 2, um, but it was opened by Amber Rudd. Um, as you can see, um, she came up, had a really good conversation with her, showed around the church, really interested, and then the people came. Um, next slide is obviously inside Hall 2. Now, while this is going on inside Hall 2, look what's happening outside. The queue for these. Now, these are families. These are families, Little Ridge, they are um, old kids club people, they are just queuing and queuing and this is what it was like all day. Um, just we had a stall, um, on our, there we go, this part of our team, giving out kids club balloons, not kids club, King's Church balloons, summer, it, um, summer fair invites, um, we had reflect we were talking about, we had a rolling powerpoint with everything that goes on in the church, um, just conversations going was absolutely amazing and the amount of people as our team, our team was fantastic. You would not believe, couldn't do it without our team. Absolutely brilliant. So I just want to say thank you. And we just had a vision, sort of like before this happened, uh, of uh, almost God sending in um, a whole skull of fish, you know, ready to get your nets ready. And boy, did we need them. It was amazing. God is good. I want to thank anyone that was involved in serving that event. You, you were absolutely brilliant. And I know we were particularly stretched because obviously 60 of the guys, some of which would have been involved in serving that event, were away. So I just want to say thank you very much for all of you that sort of uh, uh, dived in and uh, helped during yesterday. And it was, was it 1,300? They think that over 1,300 came through the doors yesterday. So it's absolutely, absolutely brilliant. Let's just pray. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness to us. Lord, I thank you, Lord, over the last few days for the lives that you have touched and changed. I thank you for the men in this church that have been impacted by you. Lord, we thank you for that. I thank you as well for the families that have been impacted as they came up here. Lord, as they got summer fair flyers. 
as they met members of the church as they served them coffee and refreshments. Lord, for all of the things you were able to do for yesterday's event, Lord, we say thank you. Lord, and I ask you, as we look this morning at your word, I pray, please enable me to uh, dwell in the bits you want me to. Lord, I ask to skip the bits you want me to. I pray this would be a profitable time for us as a church. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the uh, second um, preach uh, in our preach series um, called It's Time to Prepare. And uh, it's something that we've uh, uh, felt led to uh, bring to you as a church over this last season. We've felt increasingly stirred by God um, that, that we are on the cusp of something from him. And as we look at those gathering on Sunday mornings and as we've sought him in prayer, we, we get this sense that um, God is uh, preparing us for the things that he's got in advance. Some we may see just over the coming weeks and months. Others may be a number of years away, but that whole sense that God is placing on our hearts is, church, we need to be ready. If we're a little bit sleepy, if we're a little bit dozy, if we're not quite involved or engaged with uh, what God is doing at the moment, it's a time for us to prepare and get ready because God is on the move. God is getting us ready. And as we were praying last week during the weekend of prayer, we had just excellent times praying for our town, praying for our neighbourhoods, praying for the streets which we live in, asking for God's mercy and grace to be poured out, asking God that will bless us as a church, praying that God will raise leadership because leaders are required if the church is to be led forward. And uh, we, we've just got such a sense of God that he is uh, with us and uh, in these things. And this morning we're going to be looking at the whole thing of God answers but we need to pursue And so through what I'm going to be saying today, I'm going to be weaving in text and uh, things from the Bible about prayer. Because it's so important that we are a praying community. Over the years we've seen some amazing things happen as a church, one of which we're sat in right now. And the reason we were able to purchase this building and take these faith steps, one of the main reasons is because 20 years ago we were a praying church. And if two weeks ago you heard the first in my series, I played a little excerpt from a a gentleman called Jack Biggerstaff who's who's now now passed away, but one of the things you'll notice he said in that little four minute excerpt is, we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And if you listen to all 18 minutes of it, you'll notice that that is a common theme that came through in what he said. We've always made a big priority on corporate prayer. Individual prayer is good, but but there's something special that happens when God's church gathers together, gets on its knees and says, oh God, would you intervene? Oh God, would you break through? And I think in this season that we're in at the moment, it it is so important that we rediscover something of what it is to pray together. Now I know that there's a generation that are just a little bit older than me and you are convinced on the necessity of corporate prayer. I know you're convinced because you attend, because you're there, because you're praying and you're seeking God. But I also know that there is a generation that is closer to my age group and you are not convinced on the necessity of corporate prayer. 
And the reason I know you're not convinced is because you're not there. And it is so important, that's what I want to linger on here, is the importance that we learn to pray. Men, you who went to the movement camp, the camp was great, but the importance is the fruit on the back of it and how it changes how you live your life. And one of the things that we need to grapple with and grasp hold of as a church is the importance of corporate prayer. When we gather together, we can see situations and circumstances change. Why? Because God loves to answer the prayers of his people. Here's a quote from a a, a, a gentleman, well, Terry Virgo. Many of you will have uh, heard of him. He leads a family of churches that we are part of. Um, He's now about six, seven hundred strong. How old is he? He's about 70 years old. So he has got a track record of prayer. He's got a track record of corporate prayer. Three times a year he calls all the leaders in New Frontiers UK together for two days of prayer and fasting. At the moment we're meeting in Peterborough and about six or seven hundred leaders turn up for that. It's not planning, it's not strategy, it's not to come together to listen to good preachers, it's coming together to pray because prayer changes things. And this is what the quote says. I know countless stories of churches who can tell of God's wonderful faithfulness to them as they have pressed forward in faith and prayer. Churches have been planted, people have uprooted their families, moved house, found new schools and new jobs, sold property, bought property, gathered a nucleus and prayed a church into existence. Then they've gone on to battle in prayer for buildings and further church plants. And so we go on co-labouring with God, constantly seeking his face, dependent on his activity with us. One of the ways we show we are dependent on God's activity with us is that we pray. Is that we pray and it is so, so important. Now I'm going to dive back into the Ezra story. So if you're looking in your Bibles, if you turn to Ezra chapter 3, And over these four preaches that I'm doing on It's Time to Prepare is going to be the Ezra story that we linger in. That's where we're going to be looking. And so it's Ezra chapter 3, starting at verse 1. And what I'm going to do over a couple of chapters in the book of Ezra this morning, I'm just going to um, highlight certain aspects of it and hopefully be able to explain the story um, as, as to where we are. Now, two weeks ago, we got up to the point where King Cyrus, who was um, the king over the Persian Empire, made a decree that any Israelites that were exiled in uh, any of his empire who wanted to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, they were free to do so. And we saw that for some of those exiles who lived in Babylon at the time, that would have meant maybe anything between a five and seven hundred mile journey to go back to Jerusalem, to a heap of ruins, to rebuild the temple, to bring back temple worship into Jerusalem and in the long term to rebuild the city. And so we pick the story up after they have returned. So verse 1. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled as one man in Jerusalem. Then Jeshua, son of uh, Josedach, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, 
and his associates began to build the altar of God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what was written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord. Both the morning and the evening sacrifices. So the first thing they do, they come back, the people of Israel come back, I think they go back to their sort of ancestral lands, the lands that they had from before they went into exile, and then they gather, as it were, as one man. It means there was a big turnout. It means a lot of them turned out in Jerusalem, and the first thing they did was they rebuilt the altar and its for, on its former foundation, and they start, start worshipping God as Moses had said they were to do. Now Moses was the man that um, led the people of Israel into Israel the first time round, hundreds and hundreds of years beforehand. So the first thing they do is they get worship back. Worship is the centre of the community. They re-establish the altar and the sacrifices. We then go on to verse 10 of chapter 3 and it says this, when the builders, and then after they've done that, they start laying the foundations to the temple. So when the builders had laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments with the trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asphah, with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord, as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good and, it, and his love to Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads, remember, they left, they left Israel 70 years before. So only the very oldest left in the community who returned back to Israel, they would have remembered this, who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid while many others shouted with joy. No one could distinguish, distinguish the sound of shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise. The sound was heard far away. And so after um, rebuilding the altar, they get on to building the temple. The primary reason why the 40-odd thousand of them had returned and they lay the foundation and as the temple foundation is laid, ah, they celebrate, they enjoy the grace of God, they enjoy his goodness and his mercy. It wasn't finished, there was still loads more to do, but at the point of laying the foundation, they enjoyed God's goodness and they celebrated his grace and his faithfulness. The Israelites just knew how to enjoy the good things God had given I do want to encourage you, church, we need to be just good at enjoying what God gives to us. Even if it's not finished, even if it's not all done yet, there's often lots we can celebrate and enjoy. And I know that some, and I touched on this a little while ago, including myself, some of us can always see the things that are not yet done and we forget all the things God has already done. And I think a more biblical example, a more biblical perspective is always just to celebrate the grace of God and enjoy what we've already achieved together. And so they make a really good start. The Israelites make a really, really good start. But then, at the beginning of chapter 4, verse 1, and this won't come up on the screens behind you, it says this. 
when the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building the temple for God, they basically came to Zerubbabel, who was the governor at the time, and started to try and stop it. Opposition comes. They come to, to start with, they come just alongside. They come just to sort of try and be involved. But after, after some time, they then start to try and interfere. They write letters they, to, to, to the king. They, they start to try and stop the temple being rebuilt. Now, the people who opposed the Israelites were the people who had settled in Israel after the Israelites had been exiled to Babylon. So, in a sense, it's as though all of you guys move out and go up. Do you remember I said, was it Glasgow I said? You all, you all get exiled to Glasgow... And then other people come, they move into your houses, they move into your streets, and when you return, they're not very pleased to see you back. Because they had all this space. And now you guys have returned, and, you're, 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 well, and you want what is yours back. I want my house. You know, I want my land. I, I, I want, we want to rebuild the temple. We want to reform this nation as it was before. And so opposition comes. Opposition comes. And we find, if you go, if we turn to chapter 4, verse 24, in the end, in the end, it says this, thus the work on the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So they start really, really well. They do so well. They lay the foundation. They bring the temple worship back into play. But they face opposition and the opposition stops them. And it actually stops them for 16 years. For 16 years they do nothing. Well, they do do some things. They build their houses, they plant their crops, but the purpose for which they had returned for, which was to rebuild the temple for the glory of God, they got distracted from it. They got worn down by the opposition. But we then move on to chapter 5. And it says this, Now Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet, a descendant of Ido, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, son of uh, Josadak, set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem and the prophets of God were with them, helping them. And so after a 16 year delay, after 16 years of nothing happening, prophets turn up and they start to stir the people and say, hey guys, the reason you returned in the first place, that's still the reason you're here, is to rebuild the temple. It's to bring glory back to Israel and to Jerusalem. My purposes and plans have not stopped. They may have been delayed, they may have been thwarted for a season, but my purposes still stand. Come on, don't be, don't be weak in heart. Don't be lacking in courage. Don't get distracted by other things. My purposes stand. It's time to rebuild. It's time to get ready to go again. It's time to prepare for all the things I've got for you in the future. 
and we find that God has stirred up these two prophets and they prophesy and they start stirring the people to rebuild the temple. And we know as you read down in chapter 5 what happens, they then start rebuilding the temple. They start, they start, get, they start getting back to it as it were. I just want to turn you to a book called Haggai. So he's one of the prophets that prophesied to them. Now it's quite difficult to find. So if you're flicking through your Bible from Ezra, if you've managed to find Ezra, you go through Isaiah and Jeremiah and uh, Ezekiel, past Daniel. If you get to a book called Habakkuk, you're nearly there. Or you can use the index. Or if you've got a Bible like mine, it is page 948. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the governor in Judah, and to Joshua, um, son of so-and-so, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, now when he prophesied, he faced, there were two um, things that he was addressing. There were two areas that he was addressing that the people um, had taken on board and they were living in. Now the first one we see here is this. These people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built there was a general feeling within, within the exiled population that had returned that it wasn't yet time to rebuild the temple. You know, after 16 years of the status quo, after 16 years of change and opposition, it, it's, no, it's just not time, it's too difficult. We tried 16 years ago, it did not work. The only way we're going to get this thing going again is if God does something sovereign, like maybe if he sends a revival to Hastings. Maybe then we can get something going. But, no, it's it's not the time. It's not the time to be taking faith steps. It's not the time to uh, be addressing these big things. Building the temple, that is a big, big task. and, And the opposition, that is far too big for us. The time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be rebuilt. And Haggai says, no, that is not true. This is just the right time to rebuild the house. This is God's time to re-engage and build the house. This is just the right time. But the second thing that we find is this in verse 3. Then the the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house remains a ruin? The second consequence of the delay in rebuilding the temple was the fact that they'd become disheartened. The people had become disheartened and disillusioned. They just got distracted really. They'd they'd sort of given themselves to really building family, 
They had nice panelled houses, they'd planted their crops, their fields had grown, they'd, they'd done well for themselves. And the purpose, the reason why they'd ever come in the first place was to rebuild the temple, to see God's glory come back into Jerusalem. But actually through disillusionment and things like that, what in the end had happened was they'd got caught up with what? Hey, a smaller vision. They'd got caught up with a smaller vision which is, you know, my comfort. And, and, and provision for my family and things like that. And those things aren't bad things. But that wasn't why they'd come back. They hadn't come back to build panelled houses and plant fields and crops and have a nice life for themselves. They'd come back for the glory of God and to rebuild the temple, that his name would be famous, that his name would be made known right around the area. That is why they'd returned. And so Haggai and Zechariah start coming and bringing words from God and saying, it's time to rebuild. It's time to put your jacuzzi, it may not quite be finished yet, but put that to one side with your panelled house. You've got to go start and getting timber for the temple. You've got to start engaging with rebuilding the temple. That the temple would come back and would be rebuilt for the glory of God. It is now time to rebuild. It's time to prepare and get ready. And so the prophets were sent to stir the people and Zerubbabel and uh, Jeshua, who was the priest, respond. They have an opportunity here. You see, we read this and we think, we know it was the time to rebuild the temple because we know the end of the story. They rebuilt the temple. But imagine if, if these prophets had come and stood before us and said, guys, you know, you, you've got really nice houses, your jobs are going really well, your families, and none of that stuff's bad. You know, all of that stuff is good, good stuff. But that's not what we worship. We worship the living God at the temple. We're living for him. We're, we're living for something so much bigger than our own personal needs and comfort. If, if that's all we're doing, then we're living like every other person in Hastings. That's not what God called us for. He called us to wholehearted devotion and following him. And so the prophets came in and brought challenge. And I know for many of you, I know for many of you, you're convinced on it. It's what you've given your lives for over decades and decades. But for some of you, what I'm saying here is probably making you feel just a little bit uncomfortable. Because you're sort of, you're bright people, you know where I'm going. And the prophets brought the word, it's time. It's time to get ready. After 16 years, it's time. It's time. Now, I just want to ask you a question. Why did the prophets prophesy? Why? Why then? Now, the obvious answer is, isn't it, the obvious answer why the prophets prophesied then is because God stirred them. But if, if this isn't seen as a bit irreverent or theologically completely unsound, which I know some of you will come to me at the end and say it is, I wonder if someone stirred God. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, so that's back from Haggai, verse 1. Now I want you, it's important now you, you hear the names. 
the names. Or read the names, actually, because they're behind me, aren't they? In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, I think that's how you say it, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from scriptures, according to the word of the Lord, given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. Do you recognise the king's name? So we read his name in Haggai. We read his name in Ezra. In Ezra, it was in the second year of his reign. The rebuilding starts. What year is this that he starts? In the first year. In the first year. And in verse 3, this is what Daniel did. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. Now the Bible doesn't say this, so I'm I'm joining some dots together here, but I wonder if it was a man's prayer, a man in his 80s, he was probably 80 or so when he started praying, Daniel, a man's prayer moved the heart of God to stir the prophets, to stir the people, to rebuild the temple for God's glory. Prayer is powerful. And that's a prayer, we don't know if anyone joined with Daniel. He was praying 700 miles away, he was probably still in Babylon. He hadn't returned with the other exiles, we don't know why, but he hadn't returned with the other exiles 16 years earlier when he had the chance. He was in civil government, he was high up official, he served a number of big kings of his time as an advisor. He was an influential man, but he realised something was amiss. He understood from the word of God that Jerusalem shouldn't be as it was and so he got on his knees and he prayed and he fasted and he put on sackcloth, which I think is just very uncomfortable clothes. You wouldn't want to be wearing it. And he prayed and he sought God. And throughout the Bible, we see such a correlation between people who pray and what happens. And I totally agree with Graham, what he said last week. It's not prayer only, it's prayer and action, but we must be a church that prays. We must be a church that prays. If any of you know me well, you know that I am keen on activity. I'm keen on getting things done and making things happen, but we must be a church that prays. Daniel recognised that there was a great need, a need to see God glorified, to see his temple rebuilt and and in the future to see the whole of Jerusalem rebuilt as well. What did it cause him to do? It caused him to pray. And we live in a community that is in great need. We live in a season of great need in our town. Do you know that the uh, parliamentary constituency of Hastings and Rye has 105,000 people in it. Do you know that the parliamentary constituency of Bexhill and Battle has nearly 100,000 people in it? That's 205,000 people not that far away from where we are today. 
In re- recent stats done, I think it's about three or four years ago, approximately, I think it's about 13,000 people attend church. I reckon that might be slightly exaggerated because they ask church leaders how many people they've got. So more than likely, more than likely it's exaggerated figures. That leaves 190,000 people who are not regularly involved in church probably do not know Jesus Christ. There is a great need right outside our front doors, at our school gates, in our workplaces, for God to be glorified and for his name to be made famous. If any of you have read The Observer recently, you'll know that um, Hastings and St Leonard's is 19th, the most, 19th most deprived area in the country out of 327. We're in the bottom 6%. Do you know the next poorest area around us? Eastbourne. They're running at 84. We're 19, they're 84. Rother is 139th. Lewis is 188th. And if you want to go to a posh place, you go to Wilden, which is 253rd. So they're doing quite well. We're 19th. We're in the bottom 6%. What does that mean? That means our income, um, and latest stats say this, if if you are working, um, our income on average is 33% less than other parts of the South East. That as far as employment goes, people of employment age, one in four people of working age are claiming a key benefit. When it comes to health, Alcohol-related deaths are 71% higher in Hastings and St. Leonard's than the rest of the southeast. So, Brian, can you stand up, please? In Hastings, for every one Brian that dies due to alcohol-related problems, Skultz, could you stand? Most of Skultz would die as well. Twi- nearly twice. Nearly twice, as more, more, nearly twice as many people die in this area due to alcohol-related problems. Thank you, guys. As far as education goes, our young ladies of the town are doing really, really well. Our young men are really struggling to fulfil their potential. So our young ladies achieve pretty much the same GCSE results as the rest of the country. When it comes to our young men, they struggle to reach their potential. It's not not that they're not as clever, they just don't appear to be quite hitting the grades that the average would state across the rest of the country. Something, somewhere, we're failing our young men. We're failing our 15 and 16-year-olds and those younger. And that's, guys, it's not obviously a reflection on teachers, I'm not saying that. It's to do with us as a society, as an area. Housing. In, in our area, we've got, we've got over 3,000 lone parent households. And I know we've got some here. You do an outstanding job. You do a brilliant job, but it's hard. I know <laughs> Chloe was saying how much, and she would, of course, how much she struggles when I'm away. You know, wouldn't, wouldn't anyone struggle when I'm away? Mind you, I leave the children for about three days with Chloe. She leaves them for two hours with me and it's absolute chaos. 
actually, if it's any longer than two hours, I send them to my mum. So, um, but, but the loneliness, the challenge of what it is to raise children. You know, if, if, you're, if you're a married couple here, you know what a challenge it is with two of you. It's very hard, even harder with one. You do an outstanding, outstanding job. But, but we need gospel breaking. We need the help of Christ. Living environment. Nearly one in three children in our town live below the poverty line. We need to be moved by the great need to see God glorified and our communities transformed by the gospel. Amen? And things like this should cause us to pray. They need to cause us to act as well. They need to cause us to pray. Do you know why we're here? Because there's a need that exists. And God wants us to fill it. You know, you're not here just to fill a green seat. You're here to make a difference in your community. In Ezekiel 22, verse 30, after talking about Israel and the oppression and the poverty and and, and the difficulties that the Israelites faced, um, God says to Ezekiel this, I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it but I found none. God is looking for an army of people who will stand in the gap before him. He doesn't, it's, not, it's not about destroying, it's that the grace and the love of God can sweep in through us. We need to be a people that learns how to pray. Just as I close, it's time for us to prepare. Even if our catchment area were only 150,000 people. Let's narrow it down. Let's assume, Paul, you're exaggerating a bit. Let's take off the fringes of Hastings and Rother and those parliamentary areas. Let's, let's, just, let's just pretend. Let's cut it down to 150,000 people. Richard, can you stand up, please? I, he looked a bit sleepy. I thought I'd wake him up. Just to warn you all. <laughs> For every one of us that is here, there are 375 people not here. So have a look around this auditorium. There's not 375 in the auditorium. I'd imagine we're we're about 100 short of that. But have a look around. So for every one of you here, there's 375 not here. Thank you, Richard. And I shared a couple of weeks ago how we need to get this building ready to take 600. We're speaking about the children's rooms and the coffee area and things like that. 600 isn't a big vision. Is it? Or am I... I? It's, it's 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 not a big... We're not aiming big here, are we? I haven't missed something. If we get 600 here... Worshipping Jesus, being transformed by the gospel. We, we've, we, we've not arrived, have we? We've not finished. It's not done, is it? 
preparing this building to take 600, maybe what, 400 adults, a couple hundred kids? Uh, have we arrived? It's just a step. Just a step. The need is so great. And what we want to do as we get the building ready is to provide the best possible opportunity for people to encounter the risen Lord Jesus. Both their children and as adults. We want to become all things for all people that we might save some. And if a bit of playground equipment will get an extra couple of families up here, I think that's a small price to pay if it draws in some families and we can get some families and to teach them about Jesus and train them in how to raise their children because that affects generations. And if the youth feel comfortable because they've got a few TV screens up on the wall and, and, and it's an environment that they feel comfortable to bring their friends to, is, is that an expensive price to pay that we could have some more who come to know Jesus? The reason we're sat here today is because 20 years ago people invested into the physical environment to enable us to be able to sit here. When we put a wall up last year, we noticed it affected spiritually what was happening in, I did, in me, but also as we gathered on Sunday mornings. We're not building a cathedral. We're not building some special church building. We're just looking to build something that's functional, because we want to use any gift or facility or thing God has given to make us as effective as possible for reaching the communities that God has entrusted to our care. So as people come, they feel comfortable to leave their children. As people come, they feel comfortable to be here. They don't feel like they're coming in a village hall or a religious building. No, it's just, just like buildings they normally walk in and out of. But when they're here, something different happens. Because God isn't with a building, he's with a people. Two weeks ago I said it could cost £750,000. And I did promise you, if you said it quickly, it wouldn't sound so much. It's a lot of money. Men, you movement camp Residents, other men, families, ladies, I want, you to, I want to ask you to pray. I want to ask you to pray. Pray for our town. I want you to pray about your own personal finance and giving. In October, end of September, 25th September, through to about the 16th of October, we're going to call the church to pray, to fast and to give. And the reason I'm saying this now and not in September is because I want to give you the maximum opportunity to take God seriously, to take this seriously and to engage and look and plan and prepare. We'll look next time, just to warn you, we're going to be looking at money next time. And the, the heading I've, I've, I've given it is God provides when we give. It's, it's both. I'm believing God can provide all we need but the reality of it is it's going to come through outstanding generosity from you guys. We need to be a praying community. We need to throw ourselves on God and say, oh God, for this town, would you bless us?
You may ask me, how long will it take for us to get to 600? I do not have a clue. But I'm praying that very soon we will average 400. And it's not because it's just about numbers or anything like that, but it's about every, every person who comes has an opportunity to encounter Jesus. Some of them will go on Alpha courses. Some will understand about church membership and joining. Others will be healed. If he hadn't met today, his knee wouldn't be healed. Would it? As we come together and we focus on God, he turns up and he meets with us. It's, it's an incredible privilege to encounter him. I haven't spoken quite as much about prayer as I intended to, but most of you get the gist, you need to pray. I'd really ask you to commit to times when we gather together to pray. Is it hard work? Yes, it is. Probably, I'm guessing, the main reason many of you don't come to prayer meetings is because it's hard work. The Bible knows it's hard work, you've just got to come and put, put your shift in, in faith. If you don't know how to pray, come to a prayer meeting and you'll learn because we have some cracking prayers in the church, really good prayers. Let's stand. Lord, I thank you that you are a God who speaks and acts. I thank you you're not a dumb idol. You're not cast a stone, but you speak, you act, you're alive. I thank you as we heard last time that you make plans and then you call your people to follow you. Oh God, would you lead us on in this season? Lord, I pray, Lord God, would, would we have greater and greater impact on our dear towns and communities? God, they need, they need the gospel in its entirety. It's good news to the poor. Oh God, would you have mercy, mercy upon us, I pray. I ask Holy Spirit, would you take um, from the things that I've said this morning and make, make the, the, the good stuff live, I ask. Come and have your way, we pray. We say we are committed to you, to pursuing you. Have your way among us, we ask. In Jesus' name, we pray. And all the saints said? Amen. Amen. Excellent. Thank you so much for being with us. Um, just um, for your information, if any of you um, knew Ray Stannard, we've got his Thanksgiving service on this afternoon at 4pm and uh, any of you are very welcome to attend. Have a great, great week and uh, we'll either see you through the week or next weekend. Thank you.